390, Trust and Obey. You may be used to When we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory sheds on our way. While we do his goodwill, he abides with us still, and with all who will trust and obey, trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Not a shadow can arise, not a cloud in the skies, but his smile quickly drives it away. Not a doubt or a fear, not a sign or a tear can abide while we trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Last verse. Then in fellowship sweet, we will sit at his feet, or we'll walk by his side in the way. What he says we will do, where he sends we will go, never fear, only trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Amen. You may be seated. Tonight we got Tyler going to come around and sing a couple for us, so we pray for him.
Sometimes he calms the raging wind. Sometimes he stops the flood. He's been known to stand between his children and the storm. Sometimes he protects us and shields us from the fire. And sometimes he moves the mountain before we ever have to climb. There we find. Sometimes God allows for storms to come and hearts to break, things hard to take. Sometimes God. to carry on when all we know is sometimes God allows He can easily lift our hedge where nothing can pass through or give 10,000 angels charge over me and you Sometimes in his wind true I don't know uh, we'll never know why God allows us to go through some of the things he allows us to go through we may have lessons we learn through the storms and trials we face that give us somewhat of an idea while we're here but we'll never truly understand uh, I've been uh, 
blessed this Easter season to read through the Easter story and listen to some preaching, and uh, it's just really blessed my heart. Uh, and one of the things uh, that has stuck out to me is just Jesus being in the middle of everything. Uh, my favorite, one of my favorite parts of the Easter story is when uh, Jesus is hung on the cross, and there's two criminals alongside him. And on one side, he's mocking him, oh, if you are God, save us and yourself. And on the other side, we have uh, the, the other criminal who, this is, this is the Tyler version, okay? He's basically like, dude, you crazy? Have you not heard? Have you not seen? He healed a blind man. He helped the lame to walk and uh, healed lepers. And he's the man of God. Uh, he has done nothing amiss, the Bible says. He's, he, he's done nothing wrong. And we deserve what we got. And, uh, man, I just got to look into some scripture. And we see Jesus throughout scripture is truly in the middle of everything. We uh, got uh, John 19, 18. Uh, where they crucified him and two other with him on either side one and Jesus in the midst. Luke 2, 46. And it came to pass that after three days they found him in the temple sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking questions. Matthew 18 and 20. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst. And we have other Bible stories of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They refuse to bow, and they get thrown into the fiery furnace, and Jesus arrives on the scene. And uh, we get uh, Daniel in the lion's den. In the culture at the time, they weren't allowed to pray, but he continued praying. And so they threw him in the lion's den. And the next morning, where they expected to see a bag of bones, uh, he was there, sleeping on the lines like pillows. And God had intervened in that night. I noticed that Jesus is in the midst. And another thing I noticed in all that is that they chose Christ in the hard times. You know, Jesus is in the middle of everything at all times. But I find he becomes ever more real to me in the moments I choose him over myself. In situations I go through. Uh, you know, we see uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in their story. Jesus is in the middle of it all, but they choose to go all the way for Christ first. And then in the fiery furnace, man, does their faith become ever more real. And then we see in uh, Daniel in the lion's den, he could have just not prayed because who knows what happened to him. And he got thrown in a lion's den. He chose Christ, and Christ intervened. We see on the cross, when Jesus is hung in the middle, just there's one man who doesn't choose him, but there's one man who does. And in that moment, Christ becomes ever more real and evident in that dude's life. And his eternity, because he asked for salvation, and Christ grants him salvation in that very moment. And uh, this song I'm going to sing next, 
uh, in the middle of reading all this and going on this totally crazy, uh, you know, uh, Bible study uh, through Jesus being in the middle of it all and how these uh, people in the Bible chose Christ first and then he arrived on the scene. Uh, this song came and it just talks about choosing Christ. My favorite line in this is uh, when it says, Yet that road where pain was my companion took me to an unexpected place. Uh, and standing in the middle of the darkness, that was where my heart would learn to say, I choose Christ. Uh, I just know, I, I can recall times in my life when the road I was going down, pain became my companion just because it's what I was going through. And, uh, man, but it was in those moments where God got a hold of my heart and I chose to go with him instead of continuing to wallow in my pain and blaming him for it. And just the difference that that moment when I was struggling in my own pain and choosing Christ, that moment has changed my life forever. If it wasn't for that moment where I chose Christ when I was going through the hardest time of my life, I wouldn't be up here playing guitar right now. It was going through pain that I surrendered absolutely everything. I just came out of high school. I thought that I was invincible. I was young and invincible, and I thought I had everything in control, and then I learned what little control I had, and that the only control I'll ever have is if I just, I can control to give everything to God and see what he makes out of it. And, uh, man, to just, that time of my life was a blessing, and if anything, that this Bible study I was doing has showed me and this song has showed me is the importance of choosing Christ in the hardest times. Things won't get any easier. I see on the news every day just how people are turning more and more against Christianity. I was watching a clip of a talk show where a lady compared Christians to the Taliban. Christians today to the Taliban. And the women, other women on the talk show agreed with that. They're like, you're not the first to say that. And I, the more I see the, the, the whole world's a mess, this transgender thing's going out of control. And I was watching another clip in Canada where all a pastor wanted to do was baptize his congregation in a river. And some protesters showed up and silly stringed them all in the midst of them baptizing. We are living in some pretty dark times. And they're only going to get darker, and it is important for us now more than ever to choose right here and now. Are we going to choose Christ, or are we going to choose our own way to avoid pain or try to get out of this ourselves? I don't know. That's, those have just been some things on my heart and on my mind recently, and uh, this song has just been a blessing to me, and I... Hope and pray it blesses you too tonight.
Thank you, Tyler. Some stuff right on cue, too. We're going to the book of Micah. I'm going to talk about how Jesus is all up in the middle of Micah. And uh, Tyler was talking about Jesus being in the middle. And I'm thankful that he absolutely is in the middle of everything. Amen. He hung on a cross between heaven and between earth. And where I was, I was listening to a secular professor give a lecture 
on some of the Bible stuff, and he started going through that about crosses and how crosses are everywhere in Christianity because it is the vertical and the horizontal and where they meet. And he said, where they meet is where you find Jesus on a cross. Where God meets man is where you find Jesus. And I'm thinking, man, I wish that guy would listen to what he's saying, you know? And uh, it is true. He is in the middle of all things. Turn with me, if you would, to Micah. And I am so, I'm like, there's seven chapters in Micah. And if I could tonight, we would, we would just sit here and read all seven. But we do not have the time. And I'm sure that with the day that you've had, if I started, you'd fall asleep. I might even fall asleep. Amen. Uh, but, we, uh, but let's just go to Micah chapter number seven. And we'll go from there. We'll work backwards through a little bit of the book tonight. And uh, again, I don't know how many messages the Lord's going to put on my heart from Micah chapter or from the book of Micah, but I do know that I want to introduce it to you tonight. I want to give you a little bit of the overview of the book. I want to give you some of the similarities to the other minor prophets, and then I want to hopefully show you a little bit of the differences from some of the uh, minor prophets that we've read. Uh, it follows a pretty similar pattern that we're used to when we come to the minor prophets. It follows this pattern of proclaiming the destruction that's going to befall uh, to the children of Israel, to the kingdom of Judah, which is the southern kingdom, and to the kingdom of Israel, the northern kingdom. It describes that, describes what will take place. But there are some other things that are unique. But for our text tonight, let's go down. Micah chapter 7. And let's start reading in verse number 18. You're probably pretty familiar with those. You've been sitting for a minute or two. Stand with me, if you would, as we read God's word. Micah chapter 7, verse number 18. The word of God says this. Who is a God like unto thee, that pardoneth iniquity, and passeth by the transgressions of the remnant of his heritage? He retaineth not his anger forever, because he delighteth in mercy. He will turn again. He will have compassion upon us. He will subdue our iniquities, and thou wilt cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. Thou wilt perform the truth to Jacob and the mercy to Abraham, which thou hast sworn unto our fathers from the days of old. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity tonight to open up the Word of God and just take a look in it tonight. Dear Lord, I do believe you've got some, some great things for us. I pray, I pray that we would apply them correctly. I pray that we would just take a look in your Word correctly. Dear God, tonight I know as, as we look at this, there's a few things that, uh, that are going to be in, in some ways repetitive. But dear God, let us take note of the fact that there's repetition that we need to embrace and understand. And then let us take a look at the fact of what you are saying that is somewhat new and really apply it into our heart and life and help us with that. I pray, dear God, that you would, again, use your word tonight in a mighty way among us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Um, I'm going to go back and I'm just going to kind of as it were, outline a little bit. If you're taking notes, I'm going to outline it very simply by chapter. Uh, it falls into some, some nice things with that. The book of Micah is, again, a, a book that uh, 
really the history of it and, and things like that are easily understood. You can go back and read it. You can see uh, that he's a, a contemporary of Isaiah. He's prophesying at a very similar time. He's prophesying of very similar things. He has uh, the kings of uh, Jotham and Ahaz and Hezekiah. And I'm not going to go through all that stuff because that's easy research for you to do. You can go and get all of that information on your own. What I want us to do is just take a look and say, why is Micah a little bit different than the other prophets? Well, I believe one of the things that does indeed set him out, but it is similar to other ones, but is the fact that we do have a wonderful and beautiful in Micah chapter number five, and you're probably familiar with these. We read them all the time in verse number two of Micah chapter number five, but thou Bethlehem, Ephrata, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall come forth unto me. That is to be a ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. Right there in the middle of the book, there's Jesus Christ and his birth. Amen. His advent is being announced to us. We go to this often at Christmas time and preach about Jesus. And we're going to talk a little bit about, uh, more about that in a moment. But one of the things that's different is as we look at this book, and even though it relates to Jerusalem, even though it relates to Israel and the captivity that they're facing, it also is so applicable to us as human beings. I'm not even going to say the church. I'm just going to say human beings of all time who need Jesus Christ in their life. We need a savior. And the reason I say that is because of the way that the outline falls itself to it. Chapter number one comes like this. It is the complaint against Israel. As we go into chapter number one, the Bible says the word of the Lord that came to Micah, the Morishite, in the days of, Joseph, of Jotham, Ahaz and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, which he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. And here's what he says. Hear all ye people, hearken, O earth, and all that therein is, and let the Lord God be witness against you, the Lord, from his holy temple. I love that phrase right there because we are starting to understand and get a picture of who God is. He is holy. He is in his temple. He is separated from us. He's on a different plane. In case we forget that, and, and just in, and so that, because let's just face it, the Israelites as people, they get a little bit too comfortable with the God Jehovah. They think that, you know, we've talked about this stuff before. They think, hey, you know, we know all about God. We know how to serve God. We know how to worship God. We're going to see later on, we even talked about it at Easter, the fact that Christ during Holy Week comes into the temple and has to cast them out because they're just too comfortable in the house of God. There is not enough reverence for God in his house. It is important for us to remember that God sits on high and we sit down low. It is important to remember that when we come to him, we come to his holy temple. That's where he resides, in a place that is separated from us. That's what holy means. We are sinners, and he is a holy God. As we come to him, it should be with all reverence. As we come to him, it should be with all respect. 
and we are reminded of that right from the beginning. Not only does he speak about God being holy, but then he starts to go out and talk about the sin that is there. For behold, the Lord cometh forth out of his place and will come down and tread upon the high places of the earth. I'm not going to preach through every chapter like this. I'm just going to kind of give you those highlights and you can go back and read them. But you're going to see in this one that God is holy and he starts to speak about the destruction that's going to come upon the children of Israel because of the fact that he is holy. In chapter number two, he is going to start to be specific with their sins. We read in some of the other books of the prophet where sin is not named where it just is generalization of men as sinners. And we are. But here, he once again is specific about the sin that they have. He speaks of idolatry. He speaks of the misuse of their power. He speaks of the fact that they again are exploiting the poor. These are three things that are very common that it seems like the prophet has to come repeatedly and speak to the children of Israel about idolatry, misuse of power, and exploitation of the poor. It seems to be a problem that they have. I will once again remind you that the nation of Israel was supposed to be an example to the rest of the nations around the world uh, of what it meant to be merciful and what it meant to have hospitality and what it meant to take care of the poor in their community. They were supposed to be an example of that, and they were not. They sold each other into slavery just like the other nations. As a matter of fact, he's here accusing the one king who went out and killed that man so that he could have his vineyard. He's like, listen, you guys are doing all kinds of things just for your own gain. You are so wicked, and your sin has come up, and this sin of idolatry keeps coming up, and we're going to mention that in just a moment as we note out a couple of specific things. He speaks of their sins specifically, and I think that's important. Last night I was preaching to the high school kids, uh, and I had the high school boys specifically, and I was bold enough last night to start kind of speaking because we're breaking them up. This is to let you know a little bit of what happens at youth group as well. Because we're breaking them up into the groups, I was getting a little bit more specific with their sin. And guess what? Some boys who were having a hard time paying attention before, all of a sudden started to pay attention. You know what I mean? Why? Because we named their sin. You know what I mean? I don't want to get any more direct this evening, but I think you know what I mean, right? All of a sudden it got real in the room. And God is the same way with us. He has no problem coming to us and pointing out our sins specifically because He is aware that that is more likely to get our attention. You know, when we speak of sin generally and specifically, we're like, yes, we're all sinners. Yes, we've all come short. But then when it comes down to, wait, you. You remember that story where Nathan comes to David and says, David, you are the man all of a sudden it hits home, doesn't it? And then David is able to repent. And let us be willing to let God name our sin and let us repent of it. Be willing to own up to the sin and repent of it when he names it specifically. Didn't mean to say that much, but there we go. Chapter 2, chapter number 3. He starts talking about how this goes from top down. 
He starts speaking. If you go to verse number one, here, oh, I pray you, oh, heads of Jacob and ye princes of the house of Israel, it is not, it, is it not for you to know judgment? He starts talking to them. Then he starts talking to the priests. He starts speaking to everybody that's involved that this is not one place. It's a top-down corruption that's going on in there. Chapter 4 is a beautiful chapter. Restoration of the remnant. Speaks to the new heaven, of, new heaven and new earth. Now listen. This is something that I find beautiful as we work our way through the minor prophets and also the major prophets as well. All of the prophets are going to speak of this. We get very... We get concerned sometimes, at least I do, and we talk about this, and we only look at the book of Revelation when it comes in. And our pastor's been talking about this from out of the book of Isaiah as well, but it's so good in this. And if you want to start to get a picture of what it's going to be like to live in the new heaven and the new earth, throughout the minor prophets and the major prophets, they paint a beautiful picture of what it's going to be like to live under the rule and the reign when Jesus Christ is ruling out of Jerusalem. You're going to see some of that in chapter number 4. It is not the picture sometimes that we get of, you know, us all sitting on clouds playing harps and, and doing everything. I, I'm going to tell you, we are going to live and enjoy the fruit of His reward. Amen. Well, I thought that was good. Amen. But anyway, you go on and study it for yourself and maybe you'll get a little bit more excited about it. The resurrection is something that we are going to live, and we're going to live more abundantly. He talks a little bit about it in chapter number 4, but if you go through others, you're going to find that expounded on and that idea so much more, even we haven't even covered in other ones. Chapter number 5, we speak of the advent of Jesus Christ, the first coming of Jesus Christ. So even though in chapter number 4 he's speaking about the second coming, but in chapter number 5 he's speaking about the first coming how Jesus came, how Jesus was rejected, and the things that were taking place that were that. Some beautiful passages of Scripture, but also about the fact towards the end of it about the kingdom age as well when he starts going through verse number 4 and moving on past there as well. Chapter number 6, the powerful chapter, we're going to make our focus because this is a little bit where there's some unusual things are different from some of the other minor prophets. We see what God requires of us in chapter number 6. And in chapter number 7, we see that what He requires of us, He provides for us. That's really powerful as we look at those two together. Now, I'm going to take like 10 minutes, and I just want us to look at a few of what I think are the key thoughts. I've already mentioned them as we look at those, but I want to hit them real quick and just give a little bit as we go through them. The first thing that I want us to think about, again, it's mentioned all throughout this book, is idols. I think it's a key thought that he's bringing to us. I, I think that it is no coincidence that as we look through the minor prophets and as we move through them, that this is brought up over and over and over again of the fact that idol worship is a part of their of their makeup, and it's a part of what goes on. And then it runs the gamut. I don't have to explain to you how it works, but I want us to go back to chapter 5, and I want us to go to look at verse number 13, and I want us to use a little bit of the language that Micah is using here so that it might help us 
in a little bit in a different understanding of it as we approach idols in our own life. Remember, it's all throughout here that he's going to trample down the graven images. He's going to do all of these things. But in verse number 13, he says something that's used other times, but here more specifically. Thy graven images, chapter 5, verse 13, thy graven images also will I cut off and thy standing images out of the midst of thee. Now here's what I'm interested in. And thou shalt no more worship the work of thine hands. Thou shalt no more worship the work of thine hands. If you want to make idols relative to our culture and what we're doing, think about it like that. Are you worshiping the work of your hands? You get that, right? You understand where that's going. Are we the ones, and this can be good things, bad things, you already understand it, but is this what we are doing? That we are worshiping the things that we put our, and again, I know it's like beating a dead horse, but there you are. Are we worshiping the things that we invest our time and our money, our treasures, those things in? Do they become the most important things to us so that we lose? And here's where the real kicker comes in. So that we lose perspective of the eternal things because of the temporal things. Because the things that we're working on have become the most important to us. Perspective is amazing, isn't it? Absolutely amazing how powerful it is. A couple weeks ago, you guys know, we had a big storm. I had it at my house, and it was... It, I'm going to tell you, I, I have not said a whole lot about it, but the first time I ever went to the basement because of a storm, the hail was so bad, and there's a lot of people that live near me, and they said the same thing. And, and I mean, it was just like, and it was like boom, boom, boom. You get the little alert on your phone. You know what I mean? And it said, go to the basement. Like my phone told me to go to the basement. And then the electric went out. Boom, nothing. All the electric's gone. The hail starts hitting the window. You know all that stuff. Boom, boom, boom. Me and Junior go to the basement. And Junior's upstairs trying to round up dogs. I'm like, get down here, get down here. And then me... Even though I'm in the basement, I'm standing at the window looking out, and I thought, that's probably not the best thing. But boy, what a storm that ripped through there, right? I mean, just ripped through there. We walk out after it's all over, and everybody, or the people right, on my, right by me on the street, everybody came out of their house once it was gone. And we're looking down the road, and both sides of the road, power lines, trees down, everything's down, just trees littering the road, Trees in my yard, trees in my neighbor's yard. And we started going house to house. Are you okay? Are you okay? You know, check in on everybody. It was like crazy, right? So I had no water. And me and Junior get out there, the chainsaws, and we're cutting everything up really quick. And we get all dirty and wet and nasty. Next day's Sunday, right? And I, once we get done and get everything, I was like, I got to go take a shower. You know, I'm, but I got no water. So I call up Dad. Hey, can I come take a shower? I am getting to a point. This is not a rabbit, I promise, okay? I get in the car, and I start driving over to his house. As soon as I get past the Calvert light, it seems like nothing's happened. And I get up here to the church, and they're having young adults. And I want to walk in and be like, don't you know I almost died, you know? 
You're just in here having fun? What's wrong with you people? They had no perspective of, of what I had a perspective of, right? And, it, and I get it that it's powerful and it's in the moment and it's there. And I understand all of those things. But when it comes to the things of this world and the things that, let's just face it, when you're talking about idols, we already talked about this. They mess up your value system because you start spending all your time and all your perspective and all of your effort on something that doesn't really matter. And we get tunnel vision in it. And the rest of the world doesn't even know what we're doing. But we think it's the most important thing in the world. I've experienced this as my kids grow up. There's things that my kids were doing when they were younger. We thought it was the most important things in the world. As I got older, I realized they didn't matter that much. But there were some other things that really mattered. And I'm glad that even though maybe I didn't put quite enough emphasis, the Lord was gracious to us. He emphasized those things in their heart and life. And our perspective gets messed up on these idols. And it's, it's easy to check them. It really is. Temporal, eternal. That's it. What I'm working on, is it temporal or is it eternal? If it's eternal, it'll last. And if it's temporal, I need to be careful how much attention I give to that. I need to be really careful. And he speaks of that right in here. These idols, the work of your hands. It's so crazy, isn't it? It's like, you made it. Why are you worshiping it? You did it. Why are you worshiping it? But we're good at doing that. Okay, number one, idols. He has a beautiful, beautiful take on those. Okay? Not only idols, I'll move faster on the other ones. That's the longest illustration I had. And I'm sorry that story was long. But it was a good story, right? Thank you. Number two unsatisfactory efforts. Go to chapter number 6. Go to verse number 13 with me. Therefore also will I make thee sick in, in smiting thee and making thee desolate because of thy sins. Verse number 14. Thou shalt eat, but, need, but, but be not satisfied, and thy casting down shall be in the midst of thee. And thou shalt take hold, but thou shalt not deliver. And that which thou deliverest will I give up to the sword. He keeps on going. Thou shalt sow, but you won't reap. Thou shalt tread the olives, but, thou shalt not anoint, but they shall not anoint with oil. And sweet wine, but you shall not drink of the wine. What's he saying? You're going to do all of this work for things that you think are going to bring you something of, of satisfaction and they just don't. That's the effect of idols in your life. You're working, you're working, you're working. It's temporal. And you go as if there should be a reward of that, but there's no satisfaction from it. It still feels you, uh, leaves you feeling empty. And he speaks of this all throughout this book. This is what idols do in our life. We work for things. We invest time, treasure, and when it's time to come and receive from it, it doesn't have anything. It's gone. It didn't matter. It was temporal. Boy, I want to have things in my life that satisfy 
my soul, right? My soul. I want to be able to enjoy what my family is doing. And maybe they're not close to me, but knowing that they're serving the Lord satisfies my soul. It's a big difference, isn't it? Knowing that they're serving the Lord. Me, I don't know why I got so many stories today. Me and Trent were sitting there today, and Trent was like, when's, when's the last time you talked to David? I said, I don't know. He's like, that boy never calls me anymore. He said, he said me and that boy, he said, we fought one day over who was going to vacuum the bathroom. Now I never see him anymore. He was putting perspective on it, wasn't he? But I do know, when I see him and Taylor serving the Lord, it does fill my heart with some great joy. I'll tell you, the last time he was here and he opened up the Word of God and I knew he had been studying it and he loved it, I'm good. Good. It's worth that. Some things that satisfy, right? We want those. Yeah, man, i got to keep moving. Note, chapter 6, verse number 8, we see what God requires. This is so unique. Chapter 6, go back to verse number 8. This is a powerful passage of scripture. This is one that we're probably going to preach a little bit more, so I'm not going to put a ton of emphasis on it. He says in verse number 7, Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams or with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgressions, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has showed thee, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee, but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God. This is what the Lord requires of you. Now, there's a lot of times that this is completely taken out of context of the scripture that it's in, and I'm going to show you this in just a moment. And they take it out of context and goes, this is what it means to be a Christian. Okay. The only problem with that is you can't do that, and neither can I. We can't. And I am, I'm going to expound on this a little bit more on this thought and what's going on in here. But that is an ideal that we cannot live up to. As a matter of fact, is when I start right from it, but to do justly, it is completely in our nature as human beings to look out for number one. Justice is not what we really seek. We'll seek revenge if we've been wronged, but justice is not really what we're after. And to love mercy, we do not love mercy. We want people to get what they got coming to them, Right? And to walk humbly with God, that's a big issue for us. We can't even start doing that one. Now, here's where it gets good, though. Go over to chapter 7, okay? What God requires of us, thank goodness, He provides for us. Amen? Chapter 7, verse number 18. We already read it. Who is like unto thee that, whoa, that pardoneth iniquity? Oh, there's that one. But not only that, when he talks about over here that he's going to do justly, watch this. He pardoneth iniquity, passeth by the transgression of the remedy of Jehovah. He retaineth not his anger forever because he delighteth. But if you jump all the way down into verse number 19 right there in the middle, he will subdue our iniquities. God is a just God. Did you know that? He requires payment for sin. Did he receive payment for sin? Yes, he did. 
He poured out the wrath of the sin of the whole world upon Jesus Christ. And he subdued all of our iniquities. He is a just God. He doesn't just, and I love this all the time, he doesn't just forgive you for forgiveness sake. He forgives you for the sake of Jesus Christ because the payment has been paid. He is a just God. As a matter of fact, if you want to read how just he is, go read Romans 1, 2, 3, and 4 again, and you will find out exactly how just he is. That indeed Christ had to die in everything. Just, I also see if we're back over there in verse number eight, and to love mercy. Notice what he says. He will turn us again. He will have, back up, sorry, I messed that one up. Uh, who pardoneth iniquity, passeth by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage. He retaineth not his anger forever because he delighteth in mercy. God loves to be merciful. Did you know that? He, he wants to be merciful. He has provided everything through His Son, Jesus Christ, and it is in His nature and of His kind to be merciful. Wasn't Christ merciful when He walked upon this earth? I think so. When we read, and I hope that it still thrills your heart to read the Gospels of Jesus Christ and to see how He moved in our presence and how He was merciful to us and gracious to us as sinners, I'm going to tell you, I am not going to be that way outside of the help of the Holy Spirit that Jesus Christ gives me in my life. I'm going to seek my own. I am going to constantly feel as if I have a right to some sort of privilege or some sort of thing. It is just who we are. And it is on full display in our society right now. Everyone... Everyone's rights are violated all the time, right? Holy smokes. No one can seem to be merciful. And neither can I, honestly, outside of the Holy Spirit working in my life, being taught of Christ, learning and sitting with Christ, learning from Him that I might be merciful to those that need mercy. I've got to keep going. And like I said, I'm going to expound on this a little bit more. And then he says in verse number Eight, as we read there, and love mercy and to walk humbly, to walk humbly with thy God. He says in verse number 19, he will turn again. He will have compassion on us. He will subdue our iniquities. That will cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. When we look at what God has done for us, don't you agree we should come humbly before Him? When you realize the vastness of, the, of what He has forgiven us of, you realize just how wicked we are and how much He has forgiven us. Every effort to come to Him should be humble all of the time. I'm not sure why we would ever come in His presence expecting something from Him. 
but constantly be coming into his presence saying, what can I do for you, Christ? How can I serve in your kingdom? What is required of me? Not that you would somehow, that I would come in and say, this is what you have to do, but no, where would I serve you? Humbly, humbly. I only do that in perspective of the cross of Calvary. Outside of that, if God is something that I have made with hands, I will be very cavalier when I come into his presence. But if he is the God of the Bible, if he is the God who sits in his holy temple, if he is the God that will tread out the winepress of his wrath upon the earth, if this is the God that I serve, I will come humbly before him. But I will come because of the cross of Calvary. If it had not been for the cross of Calvary and what I know of Jesus, I would not come at all. I would run the other way. But because of the cross, I can come, but I come humbly. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Lots of preaching I want to do, I guess, out of the book of Micah. What a powerful little book. As we examine it and we examine the cross, I hope it will be a blessing to us in our walk with Jesus Christ. Christ is in the middle. Our perspective of Him determines everything in our worship, determines everything in what we are doing. Everything. Your Heavenly Father, pray that tonight you'd help us in our short time of invitation. Lord, we're thankful for the Word of God. We pray that you would use it in a mighty way tonight. Help us, dear God, to be in love with your Word. Use it daily in our life. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. As we stand How and sing. deep the Father's love for us. How vast beyond all measure. That he would give his only son. To make a wretch his treasure. How great the pain of searing loss The Father turns His face away As wounds which mar the chosen one Bring many sons to
I will not boast in anything. No gifts, no power, no wisdom. But I will boast in Jesus Christ, His death and resurrection. Why should I gain from His reward? I cannot give an answer, but this I know with all my heart. But this I 